my life, there was a point, like I always say, my golden years were between two and four years old, basically. Because at that point, my mind hadn't gotten, gotten fixated in, into this mental process called selfing. That's what I call it. And so the mind was open and available. And when the mind's open and available, some of its effects of being open and available are wonder and awe, uh, peace, spontaneity, alertness. So like when you got upset when you were a kid, you may have a total meltdown, but in a second it was gone. Yeah? And there was no story written about it. No head made up a story about it. That's, you know, one thing happens and it goes. Now one thing happens and then you write a novel about it. The head writes a whole big story why you felt uncomfortable five years ago and who caused it and whatever. So in AA, my first solution to self-centeredness was alcohol. That's what happened. I was suffering from alcoholism, which I believe is just an extreme example or subdivision of self-centeredness. I believe everyone is, is recovering from something, but we're recovering from alcoholism, which is, it's extremely concerned with this idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity called Paul or Mary or Steve. And so there's your mind when you were young, if you weren't in an abusive a situation, because fear could close it down also. But when I was a kid, my mind was open, I didn't have any much concept of time, so when I was playing, I didn't think, will I be playing next week? Because I didn't have any idea of next week. So my mind was engaged because it didn't think it could be anything other than engaged. Yeah, It was just that. Yes. Then around, so when I, they had pictures of me and my family when I was a kid, and we all looked like a wholesome little unit, and I was like a little cherub, and I was smiling and had a lot of shine. And then a few years later, as soon as the thinking started to kick in, I, they'd have a picture of my family, and I'd be sitting there, and in the picture, you could look at me, and I was looking at my mother suspiciously, like, who is this woman? There was already a separation started to form. Yeah? And as I got older, I remember there was a picture of my, at my sister's wedding, everybody in a row, and me at the end, looking like someone cut it out and pasted it on them. It was just a sense of being separate. And in that isolation, that is the dungeon of selfing. Yeah? Because you think the thoughts are yours, your feelings are yours, and reactions are yours. And therefore, you have no ability to have an understanding that someone may understand what's going on with you. So, this idea of being a self is the identification of a mind with the body. Yeah? very small part of mind, which I call the conditioned mind. It is, or I call it a mental process. And it is a part of mind that's verbing. Yeah? It's, a, it's an activity. And what it does is it thinks and feels life as if it was about you, as this. So you become the center of all of its activities. So this idea of being the self, everything is about the I, me, and my. So feelings aren't just seen as feelings, they're seen as my feelings. Which causes them to be different than your feelings. Yeah. We could have the exact same feeling, but because one is called mine and one is called yours, it seems to be different. So I, my, you cannot understand my feeling. You can understand the feeling quite easily, but you will not be able to understand in my eyes my feeling. Yeah. 
uh, this is what happens. It isolates us and isolates us and isolates us. It's a, very, it's a disease of isolation, definitely. So this selfing started to happen, and then all your, that, that mind that was open when you were a kid, that mind that was open, and in its openness, some of those expressions are being wondrous and awe and curious and alert, yes? Spontaneous. You didn't have any fear of strangers back then. You were just wide open, this and that. As we grew into this idea of being the self, which is presented by thought, yeah, and it has a feeling wrapped around those thoughts, you feel like you're a body. And when you look, you see yourself, you see a body, so you think it's you, yes? And then you see another body and you think it's them. And immediately you're separate. So then a thought that could just be an alcoholic thought is, is felt to be a private thought. It's your thought. Yeah? And I'm telling you, there's a huge difference between a thought and my thought. Huge difference. A thought is just a thought. My thought is the beginning of a novel. Yeah? A giant story. A thought... So thoughts are happening, and your mind sees the thoughts. Thoughts are happening, and an interpretation of life happening, the mind sees that. That's called the mental process of selfing. But in this case, it sees it, but because it's identified as the central point, it becomes blind. It starts seeing from the idea of this being a self. So now you're in self-centeredness, and everything that happens starts pertaining to you. And that you it's pertaining to is really a composite of a lot of freaking old ideas and beliefs. So when someone, like, this is what happened when I was young. When I was six, my father got really ill. And my father used to play with me and play baseball and everything. And at six years old, he got really ill and he stopped playing with me. And so a lot of adults and my mother and my sister came and talked to me, probably to their blue in the face, and said, you know... Dad is sick. That's why he's not playing with you anymore. Your father got very ill. He can't be playing with you anymore. But no matter what they said, how I felt was I must have done something to cause my father not to want to play with me anymore. This is self-centeredness. Yeah? No matter how much they talked to me, in my gut, I saw I must have had something to do with him not liking me anymore. I have to have something to do with this and this and this, so I become the center of the universe. And this obsession, it's like you're a little planet, and all your thoughts are just orbiting around you. I, me, my, I, me, my, I, me, my. And it produces a sickness, a sickness of mind that turns into a sickness in the body. So when this thing, the selfing started to take over, I felt a really ease and comfort when I was a kid, and then I started feeling overriding discomfort. Like we say in AA, there was a sense of irritability, restlessness, and discontent, and I did not, I felt something was wrong with me. I didn't, couldn't put my finger on it, but when I was four, I had no feeling like that, and when I went to first grade, I had a strong feeling like that. And when I walked into that first grade classroom, I felt everybody in that classroom was thinking about me. And I was thinking, they were thinking like I thought about me, which is that this guy, something's wrong with this guy. And this unease and discomfort followed me until I found my first drink, which was when I was 11 or 12 years old. And my first drink was, a, was actually a solution to alcoholism. I was suffering from alcoholism all that period of time. And when I drank, I got a little relief yeah, of being obsessed with that mental process. But the funny thing is, that little relief 
actually was the fuel for the mental process to grow more and more and more and more and to encompass more and more of my life where those aspects of wonder and awe start to be forgotten with the ability to have gratitude started to be forgotten with a sense of entitlement grew as if I thought I had something coming all this stuff started to happen and it was all the mind being where it was and the reason why it can't seem to entertain being free of it is identified with its central core which is a self so the mind can't entertain being free from it. It can entertain only freedom for it, which to us as alcoholics is to get loaded. Freedom for the self to me when I was out there was to shoot up some coke. I called it freedom from, but it was really freedom for the self. Because the self enjoyed a little relief and then just got stronger and stronger with the fuel. Yeah. So I was enslaved to a mental process. The rest of my mind was totally forgotten. I couldn't comprehend the word serenity. I did not know peace. No freaking way. I had an old attitude and outlook on life, old, coming from self-centered. None of it was serving me, and it was producing more consequences and more consequences. And the great solution the self-centered always comes up with, let's just get loaded, which produces more consequences and more consequences. So you keep spiraling into a bottom where that wonder and awe you had as a kid is bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. Yeah. When kids said, you know, you had so much potential when you were a kid, they're not saying that anymore, do you know? <laughs> a lot of stuff, that, that light of light that was in you when you were young is out, seemingly. All of this because that mind has been absorbed into this mental process called selfing. And it, can't entertain, it cannot entertain being free of it if you're identified as it. All you can do is try to get relief for it. Try to maybe socialize it. Maybe get some esteem for it. Maybe pray that it doesn't ruin the next picnic you went to or the next job or the next relationship. But basically you've been taken over by what I would call a parasite called alcoholism. Yeah? And you're the host... And the parasite basically numbs the rest of that mind you have, which can have compassion and see beauty and all like this, and subjugates it to the slavery of self-centeredness. And then your life is being painted with a color, one color, whatever color that self-centeredness decides. So life can present all these beautiful colors, but let's say if that self-centeredness is the tint of yellow, everything will be washed with yellow. Everything will be infected with that view. Yeah? And the parasite of alcoholism, do you tell me when you take an x-ray, do you see alcoholism? When you do a scan or an MRI, do you find it in the body? Because it's not a body disease. It has an effect in the body, but it's a mental disease. It's in the mental process. It's in the mental process that produces a sense of self. And so whatever self has been produced by your mental process, process if it has alcoholism, it has that, men, that sense of self will have alcoholism in one form or another. It may be latent, waiting to blow up, or it may be from the get-go. But in fact, it's always going to be there because it's, it's been infected. Yeah. Because the self is not a solid, real, separate thing. It is a product of a mental process. You feel like you are this. When you were a baby before, let's say you hit 18 months, they have done research, you had no sense of being a oneness. I mean, a, a, an individual. There was no sense of you and mother yet. 
All you were was conscious. All you were was that mind. You grew into this. You grew into a sense of self. And if you grew into it, you can grow out of it. And really, what happens in AA to me is the possibility to grow out of it. Because it tells you what the root of the problem is. It says obsession with this self is the root of the problem. I'm just adding something onto that. And you can check it out yourself. I don't believe it's obsession. I believe it's identification as a self. Yeah? The identification as a self is the verb of selfing. It, it makes up a sense of being a self. That's what it does. When you have that sense of being a self, the conditioned mind now obsesses over it because that's how it reinforces the bondage to self. It has to because the bondage is not natural. Mind bonded to an idea called self is not nat natural. It has to have a gluing agent, and what that is is the daily narrative your head's having all day. Yeah? Isn't it yapping to you? And doesn't it sound like it's your voice? That's it. The thoughts are in? Doesn't it? Do you see thoughts or do you see and hear them? You see them, but you hear them. Yeah, They sound like it's your voice. That's why if you had my sound of voice, of thoughts, you'd, you'd have wisdom about it. But because they sound like you, you're totally out cold. <laughs> because the whole point is the my and the yours. Yeah? The my is the act of being possessive or identified. So a thought is given meaning to the mind that claims it. So if the mind in self-centeredness claims it, then what gives the meaning to all your thoughts is self-centeredness. And for us, specifically, it's self-centeredness with alcoholism. That's why if you come into a meeting... <laughs> And you start listening, at least this happened with me, for a few weeks or a few months. And you hear people share their thoughts, their feelings, and their reactions to life. And you start, and then you realize either they have your thoughts, your feelings, or your reactions, and how the hell did they get mine? Or they're not your thoughts and feelings and reactions. They're alcoholic thoughts and feelings and reactions. So you and I are acting or responding or reacting to life basically from alcoholism. Not from you, but from alcoholism. Alcoholism is thinking about your life alcoholically. It's, it's feeling about your life alcoholically. And it's reacting to situations in life alcoholically. And a lot of us have shared them, and we all have very similar reactions, thoughts, and feelings. And yet, while you're having them right now, you believe they're your thoughts, and your feelings, and your reactions. So you may have a huge amount of guilt and shame about the most heinous thing you did, and you come to a meeting, and after a week of meeting, maybe eight times you've heard it done by others. How the hell did they do what I did that I thought no one else ever did, or I'm never going to share about that, I just heard this freaking guy talk about it. Yeah? Because they're not yours. Everything that's coming out of you right now that you think is so novelly you is <laughs> just a representation, a rehashing, hashing and a reinterpretation through an alcoholic lens. Yeah? Alcoholism is looking out of your head. It's feeling through your skin. It's the thoughts. It's the interpretation. It's what's authoring the story that you think is about you and your life. Alcoholic is the ghostwriter. Alcoholism. It's writing your story. 
So why would a host allow a parasite to take it over? Especially a hostile parasite, which you have to admit, alcoholism is, yeah? From your own takeover. It wasn't a nice ride, was it? It's taking you places you didn't want to go. Now you get used to it. Institution, jails, and death, ruined relationships, abandoned children, bankruptcy, aggravated assaults, stalking charges. <laughs> Yet, it brings you to those places. And I'm, I'm sure when you were a kid, that's not what, what you were dreaming for or were wishing. And even when you were going there that day, that night, you probably weren't wishing it. But you had no power over it, it seemed. Because what you are has been confused with what you're not. Yeah? We've lost a sense of what we are, and we've become a who that the mind's producing. And that who is alcoholic. So this thing takes us over. It's pretty hostile. But why do we bear it? Because the way it takes us over, let's just say the way it takes the mind over, this little bit of mind, is that it has an idea that it's going to tell you, the host, that you're it. It's going to produce the image you're going to be identified with as you. A mental image it's going to produce, and then you, as this unbelievably incredible, entertaining activity called mind, gets absorbed in. Yeah? And all this ability to entertain, like the word serenity and peace, when it goes into this box of self-centeredness, it entertains another idea of peace, which is not peace. Nor is it serenity, because it comes and goes based on what you think you did or didn't do. That's not what peace is. It says in our book, and be able, the ability to enjoy peace of mind, it does not say to create it. The mind is peaceful. The mind is truly peaceful. Peaceful. What we're identified with is not peaceful. It's churning out a product all day. Yes? And it has to be busy because what it's producing isn't real. It has to make it look like it's real to you. So it produces an illusion all day based on a narrative and lots and lots of thoughts and lots and lots of feelings that are being interpreted with thoughts. And it's all about I, me, mine. And the host forgets it's the host, becomes the parasite, and then it cannot entertain being free of the parasite. How could it? If you believe you're it, how could you entertain being free of it? The only thing you can entertain is maybe getting a therapy or, you know, socializing it a little better so you don't flip out at the next picnic and whatever, so that your life isn't as crazy as it used to be. And man, you'll be really grateful for that little bit of acreage back. But still, you're enslaved to this idea. Because if you're identified, you cannot entertain being free of it. So no matter what it does through you, you will claim it to be you. How could someone in the beginning who is such a free, wondrous, or type kid become such a freaking rat? I would say when he was that free wondrous or type kid, he was entertaining something other than self. When he started entertaining self and got identified with it, the potential to seem like a rat became obvious. So, when this takeover goes on, we forget that we're the host, we take ourselves to be the parasite, and I think it says it beautifully in the big book of AA, it says, being convinced that self 
manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. It's a very important step in the program to be to believe with certainty that self manifested in all these different ways, yeah, appearing in our life in all these different forms and ways is what has defeated us. If we're convinced of that, we will now look at its, meaning self's, common manifestations. Yeah? And the next paragraph starts with the word resentment. So really, the inventory process to me is looking at self's expressions into your life. Say it again. No, no, maybe you read it differently. To me, it sounds pretty obvious. That's what the statement implies. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. So self and us are different. Yeah? Now that we're convinced of this, now we're going to look at some of its manifestations in our life. And in the next paragraph, it's resentment. So to me, a resentment is an expression of self in my life. Fear is an expression of self in my life. First of all, it's not fear, it's anxiety. Harming other people in the pursuit of what I want is another expression of selfing in my life. Yeah? So the parasite taking me over uses me to express into life. Yeah? It dumps all this stuff in it, resentments, anxieties, hurting other people, and then I get to clean it up or make excuses for it, or blame someone else about it, or whatever, yeah? But all the while, never entertaining, I'm truly not that which is expressive. I am not the one that has fear. I am not the one that has a resentment. I am not the one that's harming people to pursue what I want. It is something that's taken me over. And if I can look at it that way, I immediately, my mind immediately can entertain freedom from it. It can't entertain freedom from it when it keeps thinking it's me. All you can do is learn methods to deal with the shit better. Yeah? So in AA we do that old, that story with the inventory. So let's say there's a guy with a beautiful lawn. He really likes the lawn. And every day he has a porch and he runs out on the lawn with no shoes and he runs, with, and he runs through the morning dew and it's really nice. Yeah? Then one day he steps out and he steps in some shit. Immediately his life changes. He's got to wear boots now. Yeah? So he walks, gets back on the, the, the porch, and he does what most outlaws would do. Well, I'm just going to go inside and forget about it, see what happens. He goes inside, an hour later he comes out, he, he looks at that shit, he steps somewhere else, and he steps in some more shit. So he goes, Jesus Christ, he hops back on the porch, and he starts looking around this lovely lawn, and he likes to have picnics on it, you know, and play uh, lawn tennis, whatever, and all this stuff, and he's seen this shit everywhere. So now he's like trying to navigate and he sees there's diarrhea, there's heavy shit, there's all these manifestations of shit, all different kinds, but they're all splattering all around his lawn. So what does he do? He goes, he says, he goes back in and he just pulls the curtains. He says, fuck, them, I'm not going to even think of the lawn anymore. He buys pictures of lawns, you know? And he starts calling people over and they reminisce what it was like to have lawns. And there's a lot of people who miss their lawns. And everyone gets together, oh, pines away for the one day they had a lawn. Never entertain, they can never have a lawn again. But they entertain a lot when they once had a lawn. So what happens? A guy comes over and knocks on the door and says, hey, I think I have a solution for your problem. And then the guy wants to tell him about the problem. I think I know your problem. Here's the solution. Here's a pooper scooper. And in your case, maybe two. Get two pooper scoopers. And if you get really good at pooper scooping, 
there'll be some time, you'll have a, at least a foot or two of lawn that will, will be pristine. So you won't even be able to lay down or sit, but you can have a stand-up picnic of one. You know, you can have, you'll be in your little lawn, it'll be like it once was. There'll, there'll be shit all around and smell, but at least you'll have a So, But if you get really good, you can have, maybe have a little more free time, you know, a little more yard. So you get start getting really good, picking up shit like crazy. And then the word gets around, hey, one of my neighbors is learning how to pick up shit pretty fast. What? Yeah? Yeah, we're going to set a meeting up, and he's going to come and talk about how he does it. So now people coming with the same problem, they listen to this guy, and yes, yes, and he starts selling autographed models of pooper scoopers, and it starts becoming an identity, yeah? He's a great pooper scooper. He's writing books, and he's speaking on circuits and everything. And then so a day another guy comes by, and now he feels like he's settled in with the problem. He's totally okay with the shit, because he's got an identity about cleaning it up. The idea was to be free of shit, but now it's changed. Now it's about how to ma- if I can manage it well enough, that's good enough. Yeah. So a guy comes and knocks on the door, and he comes in, and he, the guy with the pooper scoopers isn't really looking for a solution, but the guy goes, hey, I have a solution. He goes, well, I don't know. I'm, hey, i got people calling me all day about the solution. i got the solution. Pooper scoopers, and really did that, and, that. and my special pooper scooper. No, I may be a solution to that. I'm, well, I'm not that interested. And so as the guy was leaving, he just goes, just find the dog. The guy with the pooper scoopers and all the pictures of him at conferences with the pooper scoopers, and, and then the whole thing, what? Find the dog. What would happen? You get rid of the dog, you get rid of the shit. All at once. Quick. If the dog doesn't return, nor will the shit. Because they're very, very symbiotically put together. The shit and the dog are cause and effect. Yes? Get rid of the cause, the effect will diminish. So, okay, sounds like a great idea. But what would happen if you're the dog? If you're identified as a dog, could you possibly entertain getting rid of it? For me, true freedom cannot truly be entertained if you're identified as self, because you'll keep thinking that you're that, and that's what you want freedom from, not freedom for it. You've been getting freedom for that self-centeredness forever. It's a glutton for that kind of freedom, but freedom from it can be like a, a sword. Then the mind, unhijacked or unpirated or unenslaved to that, opens back up to its other size, yeah? A size that can comprehend the word serenity and can know peace and can enjoy peace of mind and can lose interest in that and gain interest in others. All All of these qualities that the big book talks about when you do what? Come out of self, yes? That's what that mind is. Those are the qualities of an unfettered mind from the slavery of self. You don't get a new one. It's all the qualities all there, but they're being unseen because you're seeing from a dilemma, a disease of mind called extreme self-centeredness. That's the freedom. And to me, it translates into a traveling light. And this mind, I'm telling you, every mind here has tons of faith. 
that's a quality of mind to have faith. Yeah, that's a quality of mind to have faith. Every one of us here has faith, but faith manifests in this place, in this world, just like itself says self manifested in various ways. Well, let's say faith also manifests into this world through us. And so it's important what faith, the faith you have is what it's put into, because it's going to manifest based on the vehicle. And you see it. When you have faith, faith in these thoughts, what do you have? Anxiety about a future, don't you? Regret about a past. Anxiety about a future. When you have faith in this thought, in the thoughts of selfing, it produces anxiety. That faith. The same faith, if given over to that mind, that childlike mind, will produce an ease and comfort now in your skin. It's not a faith that will get you a parking space at the next meeting. It may, it may not. But it's a faith that you won't care so much if you get a parking space at the next meeting. Because you were hoping that parking space would give you an advantage, make you feel better, just like everything else selfing hopes for. It's always hoping, can never entertain being okay now. It's always, I will be okay later. How many people have you heard at meetings? They're totally fucked and you say, hey, what's happening? Oh, don't worry, I will be okay later. How about now? No, 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 no. You've got a lot of processing to do. Leave me at it. Leave me alone. But I will be okay later. That's the incessant hope, the incessant carrot of self-centeredness. It's always, we're driven by a hope that's truly hopeless. You think it's okay to be unbearable now because it will be better later. Is it ever better later? Just another form of unbearability. Because how unbearable is it when you work so hard for something and you get a relief and then it disappears again? It's almost better if it never showed up. So this hope, this hope, yes, someday, someday I will arrive. And my idea of arrival means whatever I do and when I arrive, it will translate into a great joy and happiness and freedom and that will be that. How many times have you arrived? Only to depart again. Tons of times. The first fairy princess was an arrival. Bye-bye, now you departed in a divorce. <laughs> you know, you bought that house, that was arrival. Now you're just have in foreclosure. You know, the car gets scratched. There you go. This is how mind works, seriously. This is how it works, self-centeredness. You're here, nothing's bothering you. Nothing. You're in a nice mood, and then you look at a magazine, and there's a big picture of a couch in the magazine. Yeah? And the mind goes, looks around, and sees that there's no couch in its little apartment. And now it's unhappy with the apartment. It was just fine with the second ago. Yeah? But now, because it sees that it's couchless, it's irritable. Restless and discontent. And its solution, it says, is to get a couch. The couch is actually what it used to cause the irritability restless, and that's going to be the solution when I get it. Yeah. So here I go, I get the, so I start feeling irritable. So now, every moment when I don't have a couch, there's something lacking in that moment. Yeah. And I'm holding, withholding myself, but I know I'm really going to embrace life when I get that couch. So now I start working towards it. And then I start thinking, how many people I know didn't tell me how important it was to have a couch? I start regretting, resenting them. Why didn't that motherfucker tell me? <laughs> and then my mind starts thinking, 
oh, I definitely would have conceived my first child on that couch. You don't even have a girlfriend because you're already uh, having your firstborn, and we'll have a home birth right on the couch. My son will come out of there. It just goes off, yeah? So obviously, the more and more important becomes, the more and more unbearable it is not to have one. You don't see this has it happening? You don't see you wa- the only time you really want something is when you don't have it? You don't see the, the insanity of that mind that does that? It causes you to want something you don't have. It makes it so juicy, doesn't it? And yet, if you finally get that, how much do you want it? Usually not much. You have to see. <laughs> this thing's playing you. It's playing you so fucking bad. And it's so lazy now because everything it expresses itself through you, you keep calling it yours. I mean, it's... Easiest takeover. Jesus Christ, you can do the most horrendous thing and you'll still feel guilty and shame for it. It's always going to be you that did it, even though you know you were possessed. You don't think what possesses you can possess your expressions? It's using you. This parasite uses like any parasite would do. It doesn't have a life of its own, it needs yours. And you willingly give it over. Literally, you willingly give it over to it. Why? Because we don't know any better. Because an identification as as it is very difficult to see when you're identified as it. I needed to hear it from someone outside, and most people I know waking up out of this little trance needed to hear an invitation from outside of themselves. Because the trance is, is, is almost foolproof. Because even if you try to get out of self, you're doing it as a self. That's called being in self. So let's say you hear the terribleness of self, and someone says, and you get it, and then they say, all right, there's a two-year workshop you can sign up in, and we're going to try to get out of self. Isn't that obsession with self? Two years of trying to get out of it. I think that's a lot of freaking obsession with self. This isn't like a battle that you vanquish it. You see it's an imaginary opponent. That's all. You recognize your mind, instead of being totally in this little locked little system of self-centeredness, breaks out and starts entertaining a new attitude and a new outlook. It comprehends things. It wasn't comprehending it in that box. It starts feeling wonder and awe again. It has the eyes to see coincidences and this and that and magic. All these things that were so childlike that have been forgotten in that little dungeon of selfing. The thing is, with the selfing, is there's an identification as it. So it has a double trap. So even when you want to get out of it, you're usually wanting to get out of it as it. So it has you. It's not like a predator in the jungle that has you when it rips your throat out. It has you by you trying to move away from it. Because you're believing it's you. So the point is, once that's seen, all right, so self can't get out of self. How is that possible? If self is a product of a mental process, how could a product of a mental process ever transcend the mental process? It only exists, seemingly, in the mental process. It has no existence outside your head. Do you think animals see you as a self, like you do? Do you you think the tree sees you as a self? The tree doesn't even see itself as a tree. Cats don't know they're cats. 
fucking just catting. You know, that's the verb. But here we are, we're walking around. You know, I give everything name and form. I give myself name and form. Paul, this kid from there, there are thousands of old ideas and beliefs now arise every time I have conscious contact with something. What happened when you were a kid, when you liked something, you just run to it? Now it's like constantly thinking. What will she say if I ask her out? What, did, who, who, what will it mean? It says you can't take a shit anymore. Like a big debate. All the naturalness is out of life. It's, just, it's been replaced by thinking. Yeah? How many times do you actually truly experience walking in a room? What mostly you experience is thinking about it. Thinking about, did anyone see me? Are they going to be there? Whoever they is that month or whatever. It's all yapping. It's all a mental experience. A mental experience produced and presented in a very small system of thought and interpretation called self-centeredness. And the whole statement is perfect. What's in the center of that whole system is self. That's why we're just going to question that. I don't want to freaking question the system and its effects. I want to question the self that's having those effects. Yeah? If I'm not that, what happens is I entertain the possibility I can be free of it. Pop out. As soon as my mind pops out the self's ass, suddenly I feel wonder in Oregon. What happened? Did it take a 25-year vacation? No. It's all about the disposition of your mind. If the mind isn't self-centeredness, very rarely are you going to feel wonder and awe anymore, obviously. Very rarely. We have to do things that, to, to manipulate or to create an effect of gratitude when in that giant space, your attitude is, in, is injected with gratitude. It's infused with it. There's a gratefulness in being alive, just for the sake of the aliveness of it. But when you're in this head, you're not alive, you're in an interpretation. Your life is being used to produce an interpretation. It's not being lived. The life that you are is being used to produce an interpretation of life from self-centeredness. And the host all out wiggling and... Tell me if you're not extremely suffering. Let's say you start out. I used to do a lot of coke. So then you are very cool. You have your little outfit and you're at the club dancing and suave and you know, snorting in the bathroom and trying to meet the chicks, thinking everything is cool. Three or four days later, you're in an apartment with all these other users. The, the, coke is, the coke has run out. Yes. So here you are, the suit doesn't look so good anymore, and this and that. And now, the mind, in its rat-like nature, starts thinking, all right, I'm just going to get on all fours and start looking on this rug and see if there's any coke. I'm going to get rocked. And the other people, do, they've got their own little ranch over there. <laughs> That isn't fucking slavery? Like, this is coolness? This, you're looking really, you know, I'm going to need a babe like this. Yeah. Fuck the babe, I'm on coke. This is the naked parasite. When it has taken you for a while, it's all social wars are gone, and it's just going for its fucking fuel. And it just, it dreads the day it can't do another shot. Because it's feasting, feasting, feasting. It doesn't want to stop. And, it's only, and your body's probably totally burnt, but the mind is still going, doesn't it? 
That's the insanity of a parasite gone wild, and it can only go wild with your life. So when I did an inventory from this view, it was like taking an inventory, my name is Paul, by the way, it was like taking an inventory on Al. I could be fearless and thorough. I could tell the truth, but I had no vested interest to keep it, you know, in the dark. All right, blah, 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 blah. Because you tell, you do an inventory so that through its expressions you may get it, you may get an indication of what it is. Actually, what it isn't, which is it isn't you. Yeah, you may not be able to recognize the self, the identification, but you can recognize, get a hint of it by its effects. So you look at it, and you've got to admit, if you hear everyone in an AA meeting, they have the same thoughts in their system. They have the same feelings being produced by that system and they're having the same reactions to life being produced by that system. You have to realize we're walking around with a helmet called alcoholism on. We're breathing its atmosphere which is anxiety. Yes? We're living in that sense of constantly being under threat and we're all got the same fucking helmet. We're just trying to say take it off. But we sit here with all this evidence and we're still in the identification as being a unique, long-lasting, separate entity. It's mind-boggling. How much, it's like the doctor's standing right over you like this and you can <laughs> what? I felt just like this. And then you're going, well, I felt like just like that. Oh, I, oh, I was thinking like this. Oh, I just remember thinking like this. Oh, and then I did this. Oh, I did that. And there's all this identification when the joke is broken. If a normie's in there, they don't get it, but everyone else who's an alcoholic or an addict laughs, we still don't get it. We're still thinking, these are my resentments and my fears. It's not even, the humor you're having isn't even based on you. It's, on, it's based on reflecting the behavior of an alcoholic when you've been recovered somewhat. Yeah? Normal people do not laugh at what we do in these meetings. They're aghast that we're even talking like we're talking. They're like, what? And we're like, ha, 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 ha. What is bridging, what is connecting us is identification. I'm not identified with who you are. I'm identified with what's taking you over. Because the same thing took me over. It's as simple as that. How can you see it as any other way? How can we have so much identification? I'm from Long Island, you're from Staten Island. That should be enough difference. We're totally different worlds. Right? <laughs> I mean, we obviously don't mix, man. I'd be over there. <laughs> it's obviously we're identified with what's taking each other over. It's the same thing. That's why we're identified, yes? Yeah? It has the same characteristics, the same traits, basically the same destinations, institutions, jails, and death. To one degree or another, it has the whole activity where the parasite goes, where it takes the hosts, what occurs, how long things this, this that. It's been categorized in the last seventy years since AA in 1935 broke the big book. Yeah, the ones who are suffering from this takeover have, can see the beast, and yet we're still in the throes of its takeover. Watch, look at the parasite when it's forced to live in a state of recovery. It's dry. It has too many years, not enough days. 
it gets sanctimonious and dogmatic and whatever, blah, blah, blah. The same activities the self-centered is doing, but with less fuel. They're not drinking and using anymore, but do you want what they have? Shit. This is aliveness for me. It actualizes and its advantage is always ever-present now because it's not of time. This isn't about I will be okay later. That's Later and prior is important in self-centeredness. In this mind, there is no importance in future and past. It's now. This is the present tense of the higher power. This is it. You don't meet it in the past nor the future. This is it. It's that immediacy that becomes so obvious. But when that ability to be immediate is put into self-centeredness, it gets drawn out in time. Now you're waiting for things to get better, yes? You're waiting for all of these horses to line up, and then when I get this, and I get that, and I do this, then everything will be great. Yeah? And then it doesn't work out, then the head sells you another formula. All right, do this and do this. How many formulas have you been through? Has it worked? Why would you want to expect that the 50th one is going to, if the first 48 haven't worked? I would think they're, they're not workable. But you can't get off a dead horse if you're identified as it. You'll just keep riding it. And your mind will make up an interpretation. You're not going anywhere. The horse is dead. But so you get an interpretation of riding the horse. But basically it's dead. You're doing the same old, same old every fucking day. Yeah? I'm worried about fill in the blank. I'm anxious about that. I'll be better later. Things will be really good when I get this, do that, get that. That person stops doing this, this happens, that do, uh, and then, okay, then it'll be good. For how long? Until the per one person stops doing what I want them to do, then it's bad again. Come on, wake up. You had it, you must have had a sense of that mind when you were a kid, that bigness of it, like a sky. Like an open space, like an ability to turn on a dime, you know? Like to stay enthused all day with like five army men for two years in a row, every day after school. My mother would just let me loose out the backyard and I would come home when food was right. I played with Wayne Griffith for two years in a row underneath an apple tree and I may have had like 13 army men. And every day we made a world. <laughs> totally there. What the fuck happened? Now that ability to entertain and imagine has been put in this system of self-centeredness. Now you're imagining all these terrible things happening to you. Yeah? Not to the army men, but to you. All that ability to entertain is entertaining what the self is presenting. It's like putting a marathon runner in a small cellar and giving a, 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 an oval of like four by four. Just using the mind, just running around the same old thing, having it represented every day. Don't you? That's why it goes neurotic, have you noticed? The mind, when penned in into this system, goes fucking crazy. Literally. It goes insane. It's not the only reason why it's penned up. So it says, please, God, relieve me of the bondage to self. So obviously, you're not self. Because if you were, you couldn't be bonded to it. Yeah? For me to 
be bonded to something, I must be something other. So if you're going to bond me to this wall, then I would have to be something to be bonded to it. Now, for me to be bonded to this, because it's not natural, I have to have a glue. And keep me bonded, yeah? Or seemingly keep me bonded. So here's the initial glue. I am that. I am Paul, the long-lasting repentance of me. And then thoughts about I am that all day is the glue. It has to keep applying the glue because it's an unnatural bonding. Yeah? This is not the way it can be. It can be something other than this. But so you keep thinking, I be my, I be my, I and you stay in the trance, and you basically take the ship the Parasite Express is through. And it gives you whatever holidays you may have, and it tells you when you're going to enjoy something or not. And if it's a good day, it has five extra thoughts, and the day's fucked, is it? You work so hard to go to an idyllic place, and then the mind fucks all over it. So says, man, I hate this place. Yeah. But you wanted to go here for two years. I know, but I'm here. I hate it. I want to go back home. Then you get back home. I want to go back there. It's like, okay, what do you fucking want? You, actually. That's what it has with all the preoccupation. Have you noticed that? My mother, when I was young, my mother would bitch on the whole family about I want to go to Hawaii. Yes, that was the whole thing. She cause she make try to make everyone feel guilty because no one would buy her a ticket. Year after year. So one time we all got together and bought her a ticket. Do you think she wanted to go to Hawaii? No. She didn't wanted to want she she wanted to want to go to Hawaii, but she not did not want to go to Hawaii. She wanted to cause the family to feel guilty about not getting a ticket to Hawaii. That was her intention, and it wasn't her. It was a head. Yes. Would you like to be worried about if the if the newspaper boy missed your porch for like three days in a row when he started getting older and older? And then when you were a kid in that giant wide open sky to have it so small like that? That's what the slavery itself will bring you. Small, small, because it can only look big when your life is small. Like an AA says, you know, you have to fit yourself around circumstances instead of fitting them around you. Selfing fits circumstances around it makes the world small and it really big. When you fit yourself around circumstances, you let the world be as really big as it is and you're this little self-centeredness is small, which makes you really big. Yeah. Check out the disease. See what it is. I think it's helpful to have a good understanding of it because if you go and buy $300 worth of cold medicine and you have the flu, you're not going to get relief from the, no matter how much money you spend. They have some similar symptoms, so you'll seem to get a little relief, but you won't get cured of that flu because it's, you bought all this cold medicine. Yeah. So I think it's important not to misdiagnose what's happening. And I'm just humbly putting in a new idea, which is it's not obsessing with it, it's identification as it. And I believe it's true because when I entertain it that way, I've had radical relief. Proof is in the pudding to me. You'll know the tree by its fruits. So I've entertained this tree. The fruits of my life have been pretty cool lately, years now. So not so much what happens, but how I go travel through it. Yeah, just much lighter, very light. Not much thinking about things. Not much interpreting of things. Just a living, being aware of the consciousness, because there is consciousness here. There is something that's in contact with this place hearing, seeing, feeling, tasting, and touching. 
in AA they call it the con- they call conscious contact with a higher power, but I believe the conscious contact is the higher power. Yeah. That conscious contact, the mind can be aware of. Yeah. That's the livingness of life. Being aware of the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Yeah. Instead of being aware of the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching as I'm aware. I'm seeing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting. That's the claiming of the self-centeredness. It claims the consciousness of, the, of what you are as it. Yeah. I as Paul is conscious, but I as Paul is not conscious. I've seen dead bodies who I used to see when they were alive. And that person I used to think was a person when they were alive was not the body at the time when they were dead. The body is not, was not them, and it was never them. I was calling it them because I was calling this me. But when I saw the animating principle left that body, that body did not put, create any impression of me. That was Uncle Fred. <laughs> it was no, it made a distinct impression. It wasn't Uncle Fred. So, I don't know, you know. This is our tribe. Really incredible suffering factors, I find. So, I'd like to sort of see more and more of them closed down. I believe if you entertain this, start entertaining it, you'll start traveling a little lighter. Yeah. And maybe you'll be able to comprehend the word serenity and peace and the new attitude and outlook. All these things will occur and maybe you'll see that you just came out of the ass of self. Really. And then you'll be able to recognize its tunnel, you know, as a sign there, forbidden, do not enter, and then maybe you won't drive up the ass anymore. Any questions? But you feel it in the room now. You may not feel it, but you can sense this. It always happens when this is talked about. That something happens. There's a juice. Nice peace. It's a. It's like a. It's like a a resounding or an expression of that. Yeah. We get a free sample of some peace. I'll feel maybe, hopefully, a, tr- a little lighter. That's just to inform you of that possibility, but not as a self. Self can only have a conditional peace based on what it says you did or didn't do. So all peace will be based on what you do, and that's playing God. The whole, big, the whole point of the program of AA is to quit playing God. How does your head play God? It tells you you're not what you are, and then some of the qualities of what you are, it makes goals that it tells you how you're doing with. Right? If you do this and this and this and this, you'll feel some peace. But if you don't do that and that and this, you won't feel peace. So it plays God with the qualities of God. Can't see it any other way. It says the how and why of the whole program is to quit playing God. Well, I can't see how it could be anything more clearer than that. When you wake up, what tells you how the day is going to be? What passes judgment on the day even before you get up? You're not even vertical. It says that's going to suck. That's playing God. That's all it can be. Yeah. And so maybe you want to know God. So it takes God as an object, and now you are going to know it. And then it will tell you what you need to do to know God when you are God. 
at all times. <laughs> You're right where it is at all times with no requirement necessary. But a self, tons of requirements get set. Distance gets laid, and then maps are sold. And it tells you, all right, this is how you're going to get to what you really want. Do you ever get there? When you get there, it gets moved. Like that little thing in the, when you were a kid, they hide something in the yard, they play hot and cold. It's like this mind plays hot and cold. You've got, all right, you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. You've been really good. You've been doing a lot of service. You're praying every day. You're getting warmer. Oh, you missed one day. Oh, you're cold. You're cold. No, no, no. Get back on that wheel. Work, work, work. Oh, yes, okay. You're almost good, in, you're almost good enough to get permission to have one little five minute. No, no, you fucked up. You didn't help that newcomer that day. Oh, no, no. Cold, hot, cold. You are that. What else is God but the awakeness? What else is God but consciousness? The ever-present awareness. And your mind can reflect that can capture it, can sense it, can intimate it, but it's now turned and just obsessed with this self-centered process. So God becomes something, everywhere becomes, are you feeling everywhere? Right now? If God is supposedly everywhere, why haven't you bumped into it lately? You must be in a special somewhere. And what made that special somewhere? A mental process. It makes a mental process, makes a sense of being a special somewhere, and in that special somewhere, everywhere can be forgotten for all intents and purposes. You're not feeling it, you're not sensing it, you're not living in it. So everywhere becomes a special everywhere to a special somewhere. And then the special somewhere tells you what you need to do to get to that special everywhere. But if, you're, if everywhere is everywhere, then you're right there now, right? What is there to do? Just be conscious, sense it, sense that presence. If presence is what its name entails, which is present, then if you're present, there it is. How can you not run into it <laughs> if it's presence? It's not wasn'ts and will'ts, yeah? it's presence. If you are present, then you should be running into it. So obviously, if it doesn't seem like you are, you must, in some level, not be present. The only way you can feel that you're not present is being absorbed in self. Yeah. So you can be unconscious to the everywhere, being conscious of being the special someone. But when you're super conscious of me, you're unconscious of everywhere. And now me suffers that, and now it wants to find everywhere, but as a me. And there's no me in everywhere, there's just everywhere. And it's stubborn, it just refuses to let go of the me. I want everywhere for me. When's this going to happen to me? When, I'm, when am I going to get enlightened? Once the me's dropped, oh, seriously, once your interest is lost in that me, which will happen if you start entertaining it's not you, you will lose interest in it, I'm telling you. You will lose interest in the thoughts, because the reason why you don't lose interest in it, they're your thoughts. You're totally into it. If you had the same thoughts that you were having and someone else came over and shared them with you, you'd see the shit of them in a minute. But you've been listening to them for 30 years as if they're incredibly creative and genius-like. It's the identification that blinds us. We get absorbed in this I, me, my, and we, see, we lose sight. Yeah. We're like blind. It's like someone comes here, turns off the lights. A lot of problems happen, don't they? 
You can't find the bathroom. You can't see it. You haven't been here before. You don't know where it is. You run into people. You run into a chair. You hurt your knees. So what do we do? Instead of turning on the lights, we get knee pads. Yeah? We, we, people... Hey, I once was at the bathroom in this room. They sell, sell you maps. I think this is the way to go. And this whole giant business of being blind occurs. Instead of just turning on the light. All the dark, all the problems are based on the darkness. Once the darkness is goes, the problems have no foundation. Same thing. Selfing is the foundation of all the expressions of it you're suffering from. And what's keeping you in the vicinity of that so that there's a suffering is you're identified as it. That's why it doesn't go, does it? You can do the most thorough inventory and then more resentments occur and more anxieties occur. Yes? Jesus, it's relentless. It's like a snake. If you save it, if you baby it, if you groom it, if you feed it, a day later it may bite you and then you'll be totally, totally surprised. Why did you do that? And he'll say, I'm a snake. It's, it's fucking nature. How can self not express what it expresses? You think you're going to train it so it won't shit on your lawn as much? It expresses resentment, anxiety. Those are the grosser ones. Read, look in the dictionary if you get a chance tonight. Go to the word self in the dictionary, and then there'll be a hyphen, and there'll be about 120 descriptive adjectives. Now, maybe you can do it. I never did it, but I, it would be pretty good. Why not make a list of the good ones and the bad ones? And tell me which one outweighs the other. Are there going to be more good adjectives after the word self, or are there going to be a little more negative adjectives, like self-destruction, self-emulation, self-sabotage, self-hatred, self-loathing? Yeah, you got the drift. You're going to see. Do you want to live under that, that tyranny? Because as that, you will. There's no exemption. You're not special enough to get out from under its reign. No way. You are not special. Does your head do this when you're having a good day? How long do you really, are you, does your head allow you to really enjoy it? Before it starts saying, Jesus, when are they going to find out? I don't deserve this. I'm a fraud. Yeah, does it? But you've been hoping for that thing maybe for years, but when it shows up, you can't enjoy it. My mind just goes crazy. But the same mind, if you're having a bad day, doesn't it say it's going to last forever? I'm in a depression now. <laughs> you, you, had, you know, you felt a little sadness. Oh, I'm depressed. It's going to go on for months. Get the therapist, the doctor, the pills. You know, good, strong, bad, elongated. You want to live under that as your interpretive master? Fuck it. Jesus Christ. You know, this hoping that it's going to get better later is going to run out. Time's ends here. If you're on a holding pad and expecting someday it's going to be great, that airport may be removed one day. You'll be dead. Now I can just bear it a little longer. I know it's going to get better around this bend. That's that incessant hope. Stop, stop calling the horse yours and you'll realize it's dead. <laughs> you get right off it. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, 
talking about there is, I like to frame it in what's not happening. Yeah? So the head is presenting usually what uh, the self-centeredness presents in this moment that's happening uh, an alternate moment which isn't happening. Yeah, And that moment is usually next Friday or a year ago or two years from now. So there is a moment seemingly now that is happening. But the self-centeredness doesn't particularly like that because it likes to play God. So it, what it does is it presents another moment in another day in the future or one in the past. And it, then the thinking goes on around it, yes? And then feelings are produced. And so in a sense, you become unconscious to what's happening and now you're conscious to what's not happening. And it can create effects in the body and in the mind very easily now, but there the effects aren't being produced by anything that's actually happening. They're being produced by what's not happening in the head. This is why it plays God. It overrides God, and it plays God with time. And so the mind gets consumed with what's not happening, which causes it to be unconscious to what's happening, and the presence is in what's happening. You will never find the presence in what's not happening. You're never going to find that feeling or that juice you want to have in what's not happening. Yeah? It's what's happening. But what occurs is, for me, when I see what's not happening, the solution is very simple. It's not happening. There's nothing more I need to do. I, you know, and it's obviously not happening because is next Friday happening here? Because there's already something happening called, what, what's today? Tuesday. Tuesday's happening, like it or not. Next Friday is not happening. And actually, there's no, you couldn't even go and pick up next Friday and bring it here to make it happen because it hasn't even happened yet. So in other words, we're like the greatest miracle workers of all. You know, in the one in the Bible, Jesus brought back a guy named Lazarus from the dead. Well, we're bringing something into existence that never even existed. 
in mental experiences. We're thinking about what's not happening. And we're, causing, and we're allowing it to override the invitation of what's happening. If that isn't playing God, I don't know what is. Jesus Christ. I mean, the system of self-centeredness says, fuck God, I'm going to make time, and your thought system thinks past and future is much more important than now. Look at it. What are all your thoughts about? The future and the past. And if they, This system has no regard for this moment. At all. It doesn't give it, it can't get rid of it, but it has no regard for it. It just wants to preoccupy it with past and future. It wants to cause you to forget the conscious contact and just be in contact with the mental expression. And there you are. It's a form of fucking slavery. And of course you're going to want to get relief. Against all evidence, it's a crazy idea to get drunk. You're going to do it. Because it's unbearable being in this loop every day. Seriously. I mean, I knew better a lot of times. But the way this was doing it, I'd do anything now and I didn't care what consequences occurred later. I didn't care what consequences I had to pay for relief now from this unbearability. And the relief was to get a little shot or something. And yet it, that was that reinforced the slavery. Self can't get out of self. Yeah. And you know, if you practice like I did, alcohol and addiction, it's the only thing I ever did perfectly in this world. I was not a perfect spiritual seeker. I didn't meditate with the greatest, but I shot coke better than anyone I ever knew. I was a religious zealot to getting loaded. Yeah? And I was on it every day, like a total, like my calling. Like some guys, when they're priests, they say they had a calling. My calling was to be a coke fiend. I, and I answered it totally, 24-7. And I'm telling you, you cannot transcend self as self. There's no getting out of here as that. Because if I could have, I would have. Because I did as much as you could do at all possible and it didn't work. There's no transcending here. It's The way you get out of something is realize you were never in it. Yeah? I have never been a self. It's been something a part of my head has presented as me. I became identified as it, but I've always had the inherent nature of not that. All I have to do is entertain it. And it starts fulfilling the truth of itself. My life starts looking different when I'm entertaining I'm not that. When I'm entertaining I'm that, it looks a certain way, just like it looks for you. When I, don't, when I stop entertaining that I'm that, it looks a different way. And it doesn't look like an alcoholic presentation anymore. Far, far, far fucking from it. It's a wholly new presentation of living. The importance is on now, the sense of being taken care of and protected, takes care of that whole realm of future because I feel assured I'm okay because I have been okay. It's not wild hope. I'm convinced that I'm under the auspices of something wonderful. Yeah. The past, I don't regret it nor shut the door on it. It's over. Here I am. My, my rule for the past, if it was supposed to happen, it did. If it wasn't supposed to happen, it didn't. That's that. Bye-bye. So now, here. And this is where I feel the sense of presence is consciously contacted. And that is the solution to the disease of alcoholism. is conscious contact with a power greater than it. Yeah. The pause. 
Well, we're going. Look, we're go- Is everyone all right still? The pause is something everyone in AA knows, yeah? Maybe the moment of clarity, but the pause where it says pause when agitated. Well, in fact, the mind and selfing is always agitated. So the pause can actually become eternal. If you ever had a pause, if you had, let's say we had 12 lives here, yeah? 12, your life as a linear story, yeah? My life, someone else's life, 12 of our lives. And you looked at how it went. If you were given a boon, and you were given five pauses to put in a life. So let's say my life. The night I got out, got in my car, after I'd been to a bar, and saw there was only two people there, and I went back home, and it was 12 o'clock, January 30th, on a cold night in Long Island, and I got irritable, restless, discontent, thought I was like a giant party had erupted at this bar. I got back in my car, and I got hit by the car that night. Maybe if I would have put a pause there, I would have got back in my car and something would have gone differently, yeah? So in a sense, I'm not saying this can happen, but the pauses are the huge events in one's life. A whole typical character defect, that deep mental groove, can be stopped in a pause. Just before the reaction kicks into action, yeah? Like you think, this person's fucking with me in the room. There's a pause there, and then life can take a different direction. That's what I mean. That pause is always available. It's the unagitated mind is the pause. The the unagitated mind hasn't gone. It's just all our emphasis is on the agitated aspect of mind. The other mind is there. When this is, when you get relief from that, what are you in relief of? Mind. The bigger mind is now enjoying what the little supposed mind couldn't enjoy. The day. The walk. The doing the dishes, the petting the dog, the watching the Celtics, and not thinking of anything else. That's what happens. But now, it goes back into that, and there's no pause there. So in AA, what we do is we have, like, manipulated pauses, like the serenity breath, yeah? So when you are coming out of the slavery of this disease, it's all, there's a false evidence, appears real reaction, eh? Wouldn't that happen? I, what happened with my life is I would I'd be running into situations where I did not know what to do and I'd always do something that caused huge fucking consequences. Now, so there's a pause. So let's say you, you're in that. You just came in AA. It's just like immediate false evidence reaction. You can slip a pause in there. You say the serenity prayer. It takes like 10 seconds, but that 10 seconds can save a life. Yeah, Yours. Because now you can do something different than you were going to do. It stops. It stops the selfing, because it's a verb. It stops it, and when it stops, your mind can go somewhere else. So for me, the pause is, a, is actually an eternal moment in what we call a place of time. Yeah? When I've been in a pause, it's like an epiphany. Did you ever know you had it? You know, did you make a reservation to have an epiphany? Did you call ahead and say, yeah, get, bring the candles in, get the Kenny B music and everything? No, it happens to you, seemingly. It breaks your little selfing, and then you living in the free mind for an hour or a half hour, and it feels fucking great, doesn't it? Jesus Christ, it's like all you've ever wanted and wished for in that, all in that half hour. Then the head goes, thoughts come up and go, oh, I just had this incredible epiphany. The self-centeredness claims it and neuters it. And now you had the epiphany. It's fucking incredible.
The greatest peak experience you'll ever have will be neutered by selfing. You'll claim it and it won't even... You have to see it. And I've watched it for years now, 22 years. I've been watching it. A lot of times I was watching from it and the suffering was fucking unbearable when I was out there. Unfucking bearable. Now I've been able to watch it, not from it, but see it, yeah? And it, it's, a, it's a very small system. Very small system, very little possibilities. It's really the same old, same old. It just represents days and years and situations. Goes over it and over it. Regrets, which means resent is the refeel. Everything is a refeel in self-centeredness. Everything is a rethought. Everything is a rehashing. Everything's a representing. Yeah? Look, let's look at it from this point of view of self. Let's look at it this point of view of self. Let's look at the other point of self's point of view. What were they thinking when they said this thing? It's just insane, insane mental experience. It's suffering, it's suffering, it's suffering. Yes, Hi, I'm Gina. share from my experience. For me, it was when introspection started. Like, my head started thinking. Actually, it started, I know the day it started. I was running around naked with the next-door neighbors around our house. And it was a little alley between my house and his house. This Nichols kid. And we were running around, and it was all that lovely thing. And my mother stuck her head out of the kitchen and yelled at me. And she said, Paul, get in here! And I felt something that I felt totally okay about. Somehow, I felt wrong now. And that started the whole fucking yapping going on. Yeah, because I looked at my mother as my higher authority and I saw her dislike for something I was doing, seemingly, and the whole thing started for me, personally. So I believe alcoholism is a potential. I think it can be brought about. I believe I had alcoholism since I've been five, basically, because my mind was obsessed with what it thought it was. It was really, really, you know, school is unbearable when you're obsessing self. I mean, Jesus Christ, every day, you know, one little pimple appears, it's like Mount Everest. I used to look for hours to close one eye to see how big it was, because everyone must notice it. No one noticed it at all. They're all looking at their own pimples. But, you know, it's so fucking heavy. It's just way overboard. You want relief, and of course, it's going to tell you, oh, this is a good way. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. This is its fuel. See, alcoholism likes alcohol and drugs and shit like that, let's say. But it doesn't have an arm to reach for the beer. It doesn't. It's located in your mental process. It doesn't have the total control of the arms and legs. It has to convince the host that it's the host. So when it says, I really, what it used to always do to me, either either in a day, a minute, or five days, would be the fuck it scenario. It would start advertising stuff about how things are terrible, I'm never going to be loved, I'll never meet a girl, this and that. 
all these guys are looking at me at job, fuck it. And I, as soon as I hit the fuck it, there'd be a solution it offer, which was, let's get loaded, yeah? Let's fucking shoot some dope, whatever. And so as soon as I, the fuck it was a kind, and I complied, my hand would reach out and get its fuel. Yeah? Like this. As soon as I drank it, let's say I was having, truly, trouble with my relationships, a month later I'm up on stalking charges. Everything got panoramic. You know, as soon as it gets its fuel, it can really ride, ride you. Yeah? It's wee You know, like this. It's like lassoing little doggies and wee Like this, yeah? But it doesn't have an arm, so it has to convince you to turn yourself over to it. Which it does, and actually quite easily after a while. Yeah. Why? Because it's, it's caused you to identify with what it presents to be you as you. So when you go, I really need a drink, you think it's you wanting to have a drink. It's it, not you. You, for all intents and purposes, probably dying not to have a fucking drink because you've been beat up so fucking bad, but you're identified with the I it presents. So when it goes, I really want to get loaded, you go, yeah. You see, it's called being identified as it. There's no defense. Do you have one? Because it's talking as you. First it talks to you, right, sometimes? You ever see it, the parasite? It's trying to talk, like when you've been sober for a while. It tries to talk you into going to the 7-Eleven, picking up some alcohol, whatever. And then if you don't listen, it comes through the skylight, or down the cellar, or this way. And it's just trying to hook you. And then at one point it hooks you, and then it's not talking to you anymore, it's talking as you. Then you're rushing to the 7-Eleven, there's no debate, you're calling up the dealer, you're on it, and then you come to maybe at two a day late, what happened? It's like I was possessed. Something fucking took me over. I had no intention of drinking that day. What the fuck happened? Something took you over, is right. So, yes? I You know, you talked about the uh, to shut the mind down. All right? And uh, a lot of I know, I identify with a lot of what you're saying, but I, myself, is created by my parents a lot of times, you know? What is the difference with that? I don't remember that. I, I remember a picture. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Well, that can happen in an abusive thing, so... But it's, that self can be generated by other people's conditioning you, yes? But then, that thing that's formulated, what, what inhabits it, is that parasite, yeah? Do you know what I mean? The parents... There's a formula... Everyone has a formulation of a self, yeah? But if you have alcoholism... That formulation of the self will be infected with alcoholism. Yeah. So it may come out, and you may have a story that it was produced by your parents, but that basically everyone in our conditioning gets a sense of being a self. Yeah. But in us, and now what's producing that sense is infected with alcoholism. And so something can speed it up, let's say if you're in an abusive situation, because then there's more of a coiling and a fear. And so in this, this is a, like a perfect Petri dish for a takeover. Yeah? When, you, when you're not out here, you're in here, that's isolation. That's its habitat. That's when it gets you. Yeah? And then it takes you for a ride, hasn't it? Yeah? And then it tells right stories about its, its invention and what happened, what made it, and everything like that. That's all selfing. The selfing, one of its greatest topics to think about is selfing. 
It wants, that's why it says self-knowledge will avail us nothing. Knowledge is an incredible tool, but when self claims it, it doesn't avail you anything because it won't free you from self. So self will study self all day. It's like looking in a mirror. He loves it. Oh, yes. I can ruin a life. Wow. Very powerful. Da-da-da. But there's no freedom from it, all that knowledge, because self is claiming it. The major motivation of self, um, 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 not alcoholism, self, is the claim. Yes? So when self takes over a life, when, when life becomes self-centered, it claims everything. So the thoughts become your thoughts. You're the thinker of them. Yeah? The, the problems are your problems. Body is your body. Time is your time. Everything, every feeling is your feeling. It claims. That's what it does. Because it doesn't have a life, so it claims the expression of life through you. So it takes the role of being the thinker. It actually believes it's the seer and the feeler and the hearer and the taster, which is not so. Consciousness is. Consciousness is what's in contact, not you. Yeah? But the head in self claims it. So you, you lose the sense of being awake, and now it's you who's awake, yeah? which makes you unawake, actually. So now you become conscious, and what you entertain is that you can be unconscious. Well, in fact, all there is is consciousness. Spirit doesn't become less spirit or more spirit. It's all it is is spirit. When the spirit is claimed by self that you are spiritual, you'll be less or more spiritual based on what you did or didn't do. It will play God with spirit. When spirit is not defined by your behavior or your circumstances or what you do or don't do, it shines in and of itself. It doesn't need any polishing by you at all. I don't know if I got to the root of what you're saying. It's close, yeah? In other words, like uh, my abusive relationship with my father based on fear and his, and say yours, they're all abusive relationships. Yeah. But they just become important when it becomes my abusive relationship. Well, they can become a life story, yeah. I live in that story. Because the, past. the self claims the abusive thing, and it makes something out of it. Not to minimize the abuse, but it's going to use it. Just like in the book, they have that story about the lady who, freedom from bondage, is in the back of it, was in the old things, where she had this, she got so, getting sober, and then it dawned on her that if she didn't get rid of her resentment, she was going to drink. And so she thought she was really happy to get rid of the resentments, but she had a resentment about her mother that she realized now that she was sober, because now the mind's getting a little unfettered by self-centeredness, she could see that she really didn't want to let go of this resentment. That resentment was the excuse for all her failed marriages and not going to college and everything like this. So every, a lot of her life story was based on this resentment with her mother. So she had a lot of, she'd been cultivating it and grooming it and protecting it for years. She had no, her head in self-centeredness had no intention of giving up this resentment, yeah? But her, her mind, the mind mind, recognized this is going to, I'm going to stay in this slavery, I'm going to drink again unless I get rid of this resentment. So she was motivated to do something to finally deal with it. But her whole life, the story was, I'd give this up at any moment I could. The last thing I want is to have this resentment, but it wasn't the truth. She was milking that resentment like a cow. So something can happen to you like an abusive situation. When the self-centeredness claims it, it can milk it for its own purposes. Yeah? As excuses, as, re- as rationales, as 
as permission and tons of shit. It's incredible. Anything it comes in contact with, it tries to take advantage of. So if your story is of abuse, it'll take advantage of that. Is it of a beautiful upbringing? It'll take advantage of that. Yes? Uh, I wish I would have been on the streets more. It's just crazy. It's just an insane, insane, crazy little stream of verbing by a, a little bit of the mind. Yet it's, made, it's become our whole Padmarosa. We're totally engaged in this thing. Well, I would go. So it was never about the couch. It was never about the couch. So I got lost about doing the here and there, didn't I? Yes, it was never about the couch. What it was really about was saying no to this and making a great yes later. In other words, it was playing God. In other words, like life seems to be presenting this. Yeah? You want to say God's presenting this. The self-centered head is saying no to it, obviously. It's looking at what's missing here. It's never going, oh yeah, it's always what's lacking. Let's see. Who's here that I don't want to be here? Who's here that, who's not here? It's constantly going off on it. And then it just replaces it. Let's think about next week. (laughs) Fuck God. I'm going to be God myself. All right, I'm going to dwell on next week, next Friday. Because anything can happen there. I have no definition. Fuck God. God seems to be defining me. He's presenting this. I don't like this. All right, I'm going to go where no definitions are. Anything can happen in what's not happening. I can have cancer. Let me feel like, oh, I'm flipping out. Why? I think I'm going to have cancer next week. Oh, that's you just caught the mind in the act of playing God. Every time someone comes into a meeting, and the meeting is peaceful and everything, and they're flipping out, you've seen them in the act of playing God. Their self-centeredness is playing God. They're reacting to what's not happening, and it's overriding what's happening. So God's offering us a meal. We're saying, fuck that. I'm going to present a super super meal next week. Here you go. Bad fries and everything. All right. So much better. No nutrition. It's like the McDonald's, you know. Just eating shit all day. Oh, I hate to say this. I may not say that in Staten Island. McDonald's may be one of the main restaurants. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Only when I'm smoking pot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I got away with it. That was a. I took a big chance there. No. We're going to end up in this one, Mitch, too. Okay. i got to go watch the game. Yeah. <laughs> why, is it, why is it that we don't want to give up the suffering? Because I noticed with what's going on here is that it's almost like I just can't give up the suffering. Well, why the thing is, one aspect of you does want to give it up. <laughs> but the aspect that you're identified as, it doesn't want to give it up because it's its like blood. It's the foundation of its story. So it can, it can find someone to blame for the suffering. It can have stories about the suffering. It can be the victim of the suffering. It's like a, it's like a, a ruby to it. It's polishing it all day. And then it gives you the story that you'd really like to be free of it. It makes it even juicier to be suffering if you really think you'd like to be free of it. Yeah. But the, the same, right at that same location is a mind unfettered by that activity, and that's the freedom from it. I'm just saying... Question that which seems to think it's suffering. See if it's you. If it isn't you, that's your doorway out.
seriously, and then you will get on with what you think is important. Being awake right now, unimpeded, and then well, when it breaks you, spiritual master, I'm a fucking jamoke like everyone else. Same, same apparatus. I just was invited years ago. I entertained it. That's all I did. My head entertained it. So it's all so. I'm like special in my suffering. Is that fuck yeah? Right? <laughs> yes. Special sufferer. <laughs> yes. But it's see the good, the good news. It's not you. See the diagnosis can be made, but we have to make sure you put the second statement in. And it's not you. You're seeing the expressions of being identified with what you're not. It likes suffering more than joy, and that's confusing to you. That makes it even more juicy to suffer, because you think you'd really like to be joyous, but you actually don't, as self-centered. You want to be right, and you want to be special. And if you can be right through suffering, you'll suffer. You'll be in the, the suffering will be like a gold mine to you. You'll be mining rightness out of it. Yeah, that was one of the fuck is it? That didn't happen. If that would have happened, I would be so much better now. I'd be in a. I'd feel great if that hadn't. So the suffering plays a great role in the story of you as a you. How much is how much is the suffering revisited than the joy? Much more. The joy seems to be forgotten very quickly, but the suffering you return and return and return to. It's like a dog who's pissed on it, you know, the territory. You just keep going back, pissing again and again and again. Don't you really? How many people have been dwelling on the joys of, of yesterday too much today? No, you're mostly thinking about suffering, aren't you? When I'm having a really good time, it even tells me, what are you so happy about? <laughs> That's right. It wants you to pledge allegiance to it every day. Yes, oh master. I'll worry incessantly. Just don't let that impending doom happen, whatever that impending doom is. You don't see it as the act of a wor activity of worrying every fucking day. That's the impending doom. The thing you're super afraid of, you're, act you're right in the activity of it. It says, oh, it's this really scary thing. You're, you're living as if you're scared all day is one. It has you. you you're at the altar, at the, the altar t you know, worshiping it with worry and anxiety. Oh yes, fearful great one. Please, if I worry really enough, a lot, about unimportant things, that big, really important impending doom won't happen. Yes, great one. Yes. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? How are you doing? No, what's going to happen to me? Fucking break, you know. I'm telling you, you and I are going to end as this apparatus. It is, you know, this little frivolity of mind, it thinks like it's long-lasting, almost as if it's going to be infinite. It's coming to an end. When the body ends, the narrator got There's no more voicing. It's over. It's playing with lost time, and it's just pissing away as if it has forever. The body's going to die, and the narrator dies with the body. You do not leave the body. That voice that's been talking as you or to you all your life dies with the body. It's part of a mental process based in the body, the brain. It's just pissing away like that. Yes, does it not? Oh, I have another day coming in. Thank you. Yes, I'll get to that later. I don't care. Love, yeah, I got too, too busy. Yeah, one day it's going to end. It's going to end, come to a halt. And the fact is, if you've been living an interpretation, which is 
the mind is representing what happened, so every moment you're actually in the representation of a past moment. Yeah? Every moment your head is representing what just happened into this moment. Yeah? So every moment you're aware of is a representation of the last moment. Well, what happens if you die? Yeah? And you're waiting for the head to tell you that you died. Yeah? It's not going to come up. It's over. You missed the last moment like every other moment in your life. You were waiting for your head to tell you what happened, but it died in the dying. The narrator isn't going to say, oh, Paul, you're dead. <laughs> it's not going to present, you know, it, you know, hey, Paul, you died the last moment. No, it died in the last moment. Bye-bye. So you, and then I'm, I'm sure if you did have a voice, it would moan all the things you missed and I should have done and all this. Yeah. If it's here now, why not here now then? You, you've gotten served. You feel it. I can feel the energy. If I can feel it, you can. It's the same energy of mind. You know, sitting in the certainty of it. Yeah.